So we're wrapping up our series um, uh, starting point, and I just want to do a, a real quick encapsulation of everything we've done. The first week we looked at who is Jesus, and there's an article I read today that said Jesus either is who he says he is, he's Lord, he's crazy, and he thinks he's Lord when he really isn't, um, or he's lying. All you have to do is figure out if he's crazy. There's no indication he's crazy. Everything he said has come true, so he's not a liar. That means he must be Lord. That's week one. Week two, we said, are we mistakers or or are we sinners? I'm going to have to look there and look here so we can get on Facebook at the same time. So I'm trying to acknowledge all of you people back there. Are we mistakers or are we sinners? If we're mistakers, we just erase the mistake. If we're sinners, then, the, then we have to do something about that or, or, or something has to be paid. Week three, we said, how can you be right with God? And we went all the way back to the beginning of the three major faith systems in the world. Um, Abraham is the beginning of, of the Jews. The, the, the Muslims also claim Abraham. And then when you get about 2,000 years later, Later, Christians claim the same thing that, that Jews do, but then we diverge from there. Week four, we said, what is the rule of roles? Uh, what is the role of rules? Rule of roles. That's, that's, uh, that's dinner in just a minute. What is the, the role of rules? We said that, that um, is it the family model where, uh, where you, you're born into a family, and because you're born into a family, then you have rules? Or is it a club model where you have rules, and you have to follow the rules in to get in order to get into the club. We said that, that in God's system, when he started with Abraham, he said, I love you, Abraham. I want you to believe in me. When, when Abraham believed, God credited it to him as righteousness. And so we said all of the rules came after belief. And so we said it's the family model. Week five, we said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Week six, we said, what is amazing grace? There's one thing in Christianity that Christianity has to offer that no one else has, and that is grace. No other faith system has grace. And so we talked about grace that week. And then last week we said, don't stop believing. i just seeing if you're listening. I don't know if you can hear me or not, but we're pretending that you can. We said you don't have to understand electricity to believe in electricity. We said you don't have to understand the opposite sex in order to like the opposite sex. You don't have to understand everything about God in order to believe there is a God. And so that's our little encapsulation. And I can just feel the excitement on this parking lot today. You're going to go home and you're going to have a binge-watching episode of the seven previous weeks of Starting Point. Right? Right? Yeah. Oh, y'all just lied on Easter Sunday morning. I know better than that. So today we're going to talk about um, how do you explain the church? Now, if you, have the, uh, if you have the app, you can follow along and you have the listening guide there. How do you explain the church? For 2,000 years, the church has been getting together every Sunday, literally all over the world. How do you explain that unless Jesus is who he said he was? So today I'm going to talk to you about one more thing that happened. We went way back in the first week of this series. We said something happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. It's why we're here today. I want to talk to you about something else that happened as we in this series. One of the reasons that we're gathered here today is because Jesus is alive. There's a second reason that we're gathered here today. It's a prediction that Jesus made. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a second. It's in the book of Matthew. Matthew was an ex-tax collector who became a Jesus follower. He wrote the first book of the New Testament that we call Matthew. And um, Matthew tells us that one day Jesus and all of his followers were walking along. They're 150 miles north of, Ces of, of Jerusalem, and they're going to a city named Caesarea Philippi. And I need to tell you about this. 
Now, if, if, you're, if you're on Facebook, you can see this picture. You guys can't see this picture. Look it up later. There's not a lot to do. It's just ruins today. But back in Jesus' day, this was a thriving metropolis. And Jesus is walking with his disciples here. And he's about to ask a very, very important question as he comes into this city. Now, Caesarea Philippi um, was renamed Caesarea Philippi in about AD um, 14 AD. And it was named in honor of Caesar Augustus. You remember Caesar Augustus? He was the guy who demanded that there be a census, and he's the one that, that Joseph and Mary, he caused them to go back to Bethlehem to be counted, and that's where Jesus was born. Now, Jesus is going to ask a very important question, and Jesus never gets bored and just asks questions for fun. He's got a very important purpose here. Now, Caesar Augustus was the very first Roman emperor whenever Rome moved from a, a republic into an empire. He was the adopted son of uh, Julius Caesar, and you've probably heard about Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was stabbed by 60 people in the Senate. They said he was stabbed at least 23 times. He died, and two years after Julius Caesar died, the Senate, I guess they felt guilty because he became the first Roman to be deified. That means they made him a god in their society. And so they gave him the name, the divine Julius, the god Julius, and they began calling him a god after he died. Well, that means if you're Caesar Augustus and you're the adopted son of Julius Caesar, what does that make you? It makes you a son of the god Julius Caesar. And so when Jesus is coming to this city with his disciples, it's named after this guy, Caesar Augustus. And this, there's this deal where they say, not only was Julius Caesar a god, but his son must be a god as well. He's the son of the god Julius. So he comes into this city, and he, uh, he asks them this question. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, the, name, the town named after the God Julius, the son of the God Julius, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? He's referring to himself. If you ever read the book of Daniel, he's not just talking about here that he has a human side. He's talking about a divine side. The book of Daniel, the son of man, is the glorious one who comes from the ancient of days to, to set the world right. So when Jesus says, who do people say the son of man is? He's talking about himself, and he's talking about himself as the Messiah. Here's what people say. They have this little discussion. Some of them say, well... Some people say that you're John the Baptist, reborn. Some people say that you are um, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, Jesus gets to the question here. Here's the main question. That wasn't it. That was just setting up the main question. The main question is, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter blurts out the answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Caesar Augustus was the was the adopted son of a dead God. He's buried. We don't know where Julius Caesar is buried. Caesar, in our family, we kind of, we get tired of saying long names. So instead of Caesar Augustus, I'm going to say Caesar. I saw Rachel caught that. So Caesar is dead. We don't even know where he is. But you, Jesus, you're the son of the living God, not the son of a dead God. And this is huge. And Jesus says, Jesus says, bingo, Peter, you got it. And he said, no offense, Peter, you're smart, but you're not that smart. My Father in heaven is the one who gave you the answer to that question. And then Jesus says something that is absolutely staggering. He makes a prediction, and it's why we're here today, besides the fact that he was raised from the dead. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock. Now, Catholics and Protestants 
argue over who is the rock or what is the rock. Catholics say that Peter is the rock because he answered the question, and Protestants go, no, 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 Peter's not the rock. It's the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Can I just tell you that, that we don't even need to argue about that because what's important is not who is the rock or what is the rock. What is important is the prediction that Jesus makes next. He makes a very bold claim. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now I have to stop here. We assume that Jesus was talking in Aramaic because that was the common language of the day. But the New Testament was written in Koine Geek, which, Geek, Greek, which was the uh, common language. It was the legal language of the Greek Empire, and they were under Roman authority. And so when Matthew sat down to tell us about this conversation, he didn't write in Aramaic, he wrote in Greek. And the Aramaic word that Jesus used right here when he said, I will build my church, is actually the word ekklesia. This is a big deal. Say ekklesia to somebody sitting in the car with you. Ekklesia. Ekklesia is a very common Greek term. It's not a religious term. It has three meanings. It says it means gathering, it means assembly, or it means congregation. Jesus says, guys, I'm going to build my assembly of people. I'm going to build my congregation of people. Um, They're 150 miles from Jerusalem. They're heading into Caesarea Philippi. And he goes, hey, I'm going to build a Jesus gathering, and and nothing is going to be able to stop it. And they're like, yeah, we're outlaws. You know why we're not in Jerusalem right now? It's because people want to kill you. Yeah, you're going to build your gathering. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my gathering, my assembly. Years later, as Matthew sits down to write the rest of the New Testament, Matthew and the rest of the New Testament, they were translated into English, or actually they're translated from Greek into um, other languages, and this word ekklesia was messed up. There's a, met, uh, a, a huge translation error, and, and they translated it, not gathering assembly of people, they translated kirche, K-I-R-C-H-A, that's the the German word because they were translating it into German at the time. And and they did not use the proper word, which was ecclesia. Now, church, ecclesia, I mean, kirche, church means house of the Lord. Instead of the idea of a gathering of an assembly of people, what this translation said is, I will build a tabernacle, I will build a place, I will build a house of the Lord. Now, some of you may say, that's not that big a deal. Well, Jesus never predicted a place. He predicted a people. This is huge. And please tell me that you see the implications of this because the building is closed, but the church is not closed. The gathering of people is not closed. We have a gathering of people sitting in your cars all over the parking lot today. Do you understand what I'm talking about today? Thank you. When Matthew wrote this down, he knew exactly what word Jesus used because Matthew was an eyewitness, and he used the word ecclesia. I will build my gathering, my assembly, my congregation of followers. Then in the 16th century, after the printing press has been invented, the Gutenberg Press, a hundred years later, a man named William Tyndale became the first to translate the entire New Testament from Greek into English. And when he got to this word ecclesia, he was stunned. He said, it does not mean church. It means congregation. It means assembly. And so he translated that word, and he got in trouble with the church leaders of his time. They didn't like that he changed the word. They liked to have the idea of Jesus said, I will build a church, a place, or a tabernacle. But he actually said an assembly. And so Tyndale knew that Jesus didn't predict a place. He predicted a people, and it got him in trouble. It eventually got him killed. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second. Let me tell you the rest of the story in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, 
And on this rock I will build my church. Not the word church, though, ecclesia, my gathering. And the gates of Hades will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. The coronavirus will not prevail against the assembling of God's people all over the world today. Thank you. We need to do church outside more often. (laughs) Nothing will prevail against the gathering of Jesus' people until Jesus himself returns and we worship him in our midst. Jesus made this incredible prediction. I'm going to build my, my people and nothing will stop it. And eventually they go back to Jerusalem. And he warned, they warned him, don't go back to Jerusalem. You're going to get killed. He goes back to Jerusalem and he is killed. And if you had asked Peter after they went back and Jesus was crucified, if you'd asked Peter, do you still think he's the Messiah, the son of the living God? And he would have said, no, we were wrong. If you'd asked Peter... On Good Friday or on that Saturday, if you'd ask him, is Jesus still going to build his assembly of people all over the world and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Peter would have said, no, he's dead, it's over. But what are we celebrating today? Come on, gathering of people. Somebody lean out your window and tell me, what are we celebrating today? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, I heard one person. Are y'all listening? Okay, all right. Yeah, but you didn't say anything. You can honk, but you didn't say anything. All right. It was not dead. It was not over. And after Jesus appeared to more than 500 people over 40 days, one last time he gets his people together right before he goes back to heaven. And, um, and he says some very famous words that are tied into his prediction when they were at Caesarea Philippi. This is Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them. They're up on a mountain in Galilee, and there may be 120 followers that are there. And he says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is either an incredibly arrogant statement, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, or it's the truth. And probably the reason that all of these people that are gathered there weren't offended that day is because when a guy predicts his death and resurrection, then he pulls it off. If he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine, you're going to say, I agree. All in favor say I. They all said, I believe that all authority is his. Now, I want you to see something. The next word is therefore. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, whenever you have a therefore in Scripture, you need to know what it is there for. Jesus said, I'm about to tell you what I want you to do with all of my authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These guys are fugitives from the law. They have no organization. They have no buildings. They have no money. And Jesus says, I want you to go to all nations. And then one of his disciples may have raised their hand and said, "Uh, excuse me, what's a nation? He says, we'll get to that in a minute. He said, I want you to go to all people groups, and I want you to make disciples, followers of me. And they're, yes, I see that hand. What question do you have? Well, well, how are we going to get there? We'll get to that in a minute. I want you to make Jesus followers of all people from all nations. And then look at this, verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then he left. He just said, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. Where'd he go? He left. Well, what do we do now? Well, Jesus told us to go into Jerusalem and wait till the Holy Spirit comes. And I think somebody said, who's the Holy Spirit? 
I don't know, let's go wait. They waited another 10 days. The Holy Spirit shows up. And on the day the Holy Spirit shows up, it says a mighty rushing wind came through the town. Everybody came and Peter stood up and he said that four point sermon that we talked about last week and that they preached for 10 and 20 years afterwards. He said, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, say you're sorry. And 3,000 people in Jerusalem, the very spot where Jesus was crucified, everybody knew about that, where he was laid in a tomb, everybody knew where he was laid in the tomb, he was resurrected. Everybody knew that the tomb was empty, and 3,000 people that day said, I believe in Jesus, and they asked Jesus to forgive their sins, lead their life, and they were baptized that day. That's an awesome baptism service. And by the way, I was thinking, we ought to do baptism out here sometime when we have drive-in church. I think that'd be a great idea. I digress. The very first gathering began around an event that everybody knew happened. Jesus was crucified and he was resurrected. Thousands and thousands of people became followers in Jerusalem. Even some of the leading priests began to believe in Jesus because the tomb was empty. But Jesus didn't say, therefore, go into all Jerusalem and make followers, make disciples, did he? He said, go into all nations. So let me just kind of make some, a story up here. I don't know if this is what happened. I'm just making it up. So God is talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You remember in, in Genesis it said, God says, let us make man, humankind in, in our image. So he's talking to Jesus. He's talking to the Holy Spirit. And he says, uh, this movement isn't moving. So maybe, maybe let's do this. Let's choose the most religious, fanatic, nut job that we can and let's send him to the rest of the world. And they choose this guy named Saul, and he goes all around the Mediterranean Sea starting churches. You need to read this some week in Acts chapter 9. It's an incredible story about his conversion. Just a few years after Jesus was resurrected, Paul starts all of these churches in all of the known nations of the world, and then he writes letters to them. And some of the information that we have in those letters, we can date within two years of Jesus being resurrected from the tomb. So no legend has gotten in there. Now, Paul, we know, goes to, to Jerusalem a couple of times. I'm still making stuff up here. I'm going to make this up, all right? Maybe on one occasion, he goes to Jerusalem. He goes, hey, guys, this movement isn't moving. Jesus said, go to all nations. And we think maybe Peter and, and, and James and Andrew and John, maybe they said, hey, you're right. What should we do? So we think maybe, we're making this up, maybe Paul pulls out a map and he sticks it up on the wall and he goes, here's Jerusalem. Here's the rest of the Roman world. You guys take Jerusalem. I'll take everything else. Now, I'm telling the truth. He actually did. He took the rest of the world, and he started Jesus followers all over the known world. And one of the things he said, everywhere he went, he would go into the synagogues, which were the Jewish churches, tell them about Jesus. He would go into the marketplace, and he would tell them about Jesus. He would go into the Areopagus when he was in Athens and tell them about Jesus. One time he was on a ship, and the ship was about to be wrecked. God told him it's going to be wrecked. He tells them about Jesus. When they're shipwrecked and they go up on the island, he tells people about Jesus everywhere he goes. And one of the things that he tells them over and over is there is proof that God has sent his son to the earth, and that's that he raised Jesus from the dead. There's an empty tomb. That's the proof. Now, for 30 years, Paul goes all around the known world, and he starts little gatherings, little ecclesias of people, and he pours his whole life into this. And then he's arrested a second time, and he is taken to Rome. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, I've been arrested three times, but it was not for... Um, for starting little church gatherings, it was for being really stupid. 
The last time you know about when I was taking my gun into the airport, that's stupid. So I can't, I can't uh, associate with what Paul is doing. Paul is arrested under Nero for starting little church gatherings all over the known world. And I think that Paul knew this was going to be the end. Because Nero, if you understand anything about history, Nero hated Christians. They were fair game for any type of torture. Um, they were the ones that they put in the Colosseum, and he allowed them to be ripped to shred by, by beasts. And the, uh, the non-Christians clapped, and they cheered when Christians were ripped to shreds. He would crucify thousands of Christians just for the fun of it. He would even... Um, put tar in their hair, put them on a stake, and light them on fire to burn them alive so that they would light up his garden parties. Paul knows that his life is about to end. Now let's imagine, I saw that, that Bill and Ted's bogus adventure was on TV last night. I've not seen that. I, did, I have to confess, I did see Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. So let's just imagine... That doesn't benefit anyone. But let's just imagine we could go back in time like Bill and Ted did in The Excellent Adventure. And we could go into Paul's cell right before Paul is going to walk down the main road in Rome, be led outside the city, and he's going to die for his faith. Imagine we're able to talk to him. We would say, Paul, what are you thinking? And I think Paul may have been sitting in the jail cell saying, I wonder if this worked. Did this idea that Jesus had that we're supposed to spread little communities of believers all over the world, did it work? Or are they going to do to all the believers in all those cities what they did to Jesus and what they're about to do to me? And we walk up to Paul and we say, Paul, guess what? It worked. And Paul says, what worked? And we said, the Jesus gatherings worked. They're everywhere. You see this city that's adorned with all kinds of idols to the Greek gods? There's going to be a day when they're going to be crosses on the buildings and they're not going to be to to represent all the things that Nero did to Christians they're going to represent one cru uh, crucifixion that of Jesus Christ Paul see that over there the Colosseum where that that houses Nero's circus where he he puts Christians in to be torn apart by the beast someday Paul there is going to be a cross in that Colosseum where the emperor used to sit, but it's not going to be to remind people of the emperor. It's going to be to remind people of all the Christians who gave their lives in that Colosseum who said, we will not renounce Christ. He is our follower. Right over there, Paul, outside where, where Nero used to have his garden parties lit up by Christians on fire, there's going to be built probably one of the most beautiful buildings that were, will ever be built. It's going to be called St. Peter's Basilica, and it's going to be built in honor of your friend Peter. And Paul, thousands and thousands of years, a couple of thousands of years from now, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims from all over the world are going to come to this place. They're going to come here and they're not going to ask, where was Nero buried? They're not going to ask, where was Julius Caesar buried? They're not going to ask, where was Caesar Augustus buried? They're going to ask, where was the apostle Paul put in prison before he was killed for his faith? Paul, it worked. It's hard to imagine, almost, it's hard to imagine, but all those letters that you wrote, to Ephesus, to Corinth, to Thessalonica. All of those letters are going to be combined into the best-selling book of all times. And they're going to be translated into over 1,200 different languages. And people are going to read your works and the rest of the Bible 
in little ecclesias all over the known world. And that's not even the best part. Paul, one day, Caesar Augustus will be known, but it won't be the retelling of his story. Once a year, people all over the world are going to get together and they're going to read this story about Caesar Augustus, but it's going to be in the retelling of the birth of our Savior. Paul, it worked. Paul, you need to understand. One day, people are going to name their children, Peter and Paul and Andrew and John and Matthew and James, and they're going to name their dogs, Nero and Caesar. Come on, somebody honk your horn. That's funny. I worked hard on that. Do you think that Paul could have imagined all of that when he's walking out to be killed for his faith in Christ? I don't think so. Do you know why it happened? Because the one who was about to be killed and resurrected said it would happen. Just like Jesus said, there are little ecclesias everywhere. Because outside Caesarea Philippi, he said, I will build my gathering of people and the gates of hell, death, will never be able to come against it. Nothing's going to stop the advancement of the church. Not the building, the gatherings. Nothing can stop it. So I want you to know two things happened. This is on your listening guide. The disciples saw a risen Savior and it changed them. The second thing that you have to explain if you're going to think about Christianity is the gatherings have not stopped in in the face of incredible odds sometimes. The gatherings continue to grow, the Jesus gatherings just as he predicted. Now here's the best part. We're almost done. thought somebody would honk at that. The best part, you're invited to be a part of the church. God wants you to be involved in this little ecclesia thing that goes around the world changing lives. And some of you are going, me? Yes, you. But I'm too messed up. The more messed up you are, the more God gets the glory for you coming to Christ and your life being transformed. So the next thing I want you to know is what is my next step? Because everybody here and everybody on Facebook has a next step. For some of you, the next step is, is simply asking... Can I keep coming here to a safe place and hearing messages about Jesus? And the answer to that is yes. We built New Life Community Church to reach people who were far from God. And we know that people sometimes have to come for months or even years to get all of their questions answered. So you just keep on coming. Some of you, though, it's time for you to step into the kingdom of God, to cross the line of faith. You heard something in this series, or you heard something at some point, and it's time for you to say, I believe in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and ask him to forgive your sins and to lead your life. Some of you need to be baptized. When you are baptized, you're publicly admitting that you're a Jesus follower, and you're identifying yourself with hundreds of thousands, probably millions of believers around the world who have been baptized And they're identifying with John the Baptist's message when he said, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Some of you, um, it's time for you to serve. Uh, When we get these doors back opened up, and it's going to be just a few weeks, and these doors will be back opened up, you need to be involved in serving the body of Christ because this is the only place I know that's going to live forever. Not the building, the people's lives that are changed in this building. Some of you need to give. Your next step is you need to give. I love to give my money to the church. 10% of my income goes to the church. When I get paid in cash, I won't even put it in my billfold because I do not want to rob God. Until I give him his 10%, then I'll pull it in my, in my uh, billfold, and then I feel like I can use it at that point. Because when you invest in the local church, you're investing in what Jesus said, nothing will ever overcome it. It will last forever. And some of you are even more than that. 
You're wrestling with a call of God on your life. God has called you to do maybe something similar that I do or maybe youth ministry or children's ministry. It is time for you to step forward. Everybody that's listening to me today has a step that you need to make. And I'm going to ask you to tell somebody that step today. You can tell me or you can tell somebody else. Because here's the deal. Here's the promise that, that I get from Scripture. Any step you take towards Jesus helps you deal with mankind's three greatest problems. Sin, sorrow, and death. Jesus overcame the grave. Every shred of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead is also evidence that those who follow him that are adopted into his family will one day rise from the dead again, never to die. The church happened because Jesus promised it would, and we're inviting all of you and all of your friends to come and be a part of something that will never, that the gates of hell will never prevail against. So I want you to tell somebody your next step. I want you to, if you have an offering, you can go online, push pay, you can give that. If you want to come by here, we'll take your offering and we'll spray it down before we put it into our money bag um, so that you won't spread the coronavirus because Teresa will not pick it up unless we spray it, right? Yep, you heard that. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. We're going to pray and we're going to get out of here on this Resurrection Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll go back to just online church. We're going to have the Lord's Supper, and I want you all to get some bread and some grape juice and be ready for the Lord's Supper with your family in your homes. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about next week. I just felt like God was leading me to do that, and I think it would be a great time to celebrate the Lord's Supper with your family. We'll explain what it means. We'll explain how to do it, and that will be next Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Let's pray, and let's go eat. Father, thank you for today. What a glorious day. We sang about it. God, at, uh, at 7 o'clock when we got here and it's pouring cats and dogs and, and we're under a tornado warning, we, we were worried about whether we could gather today. But God, you're so faithful. If, if you were just to look at the sky right now, you wouldn't even know that it rained earlier. So thank you for a chance to gather with these people on this parking lot, these people who are online following along, God, thank you that no matter what comes, heaven, hell, coronavirus, whatever other virus the enemy wants to throw at us, nothing will prevail against your gathering of your people in this life and in the life to come. God, how I pray that someone today would give their heart to you, would say, it's time for me to say, Jesus, please forgive my sins. Please lead the rest of my life. It's time for others to take a step. You never called us to be spectators. You called us to be servants. And when you stood up that day at the, at the sup, Last Supper and you took off your robe and you put on a towel and you washed the disciples' feet, you, you told us, go and do likewise. So you've called us to serve. God teaches that, that it means in the kingdom of God, the greatest person is the servant because that's who you were. Use us, Lord, to be a light out here on this, uh, this hilltop in Anderson County. Help us to reach people for the cause of Christ. We love you, we praise you, and we're going to serve you, the risen Savior, the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.